Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 2021 Virtual Mississippi Book Festival. My name is Meg Reed, and I'm the director of Hub City Press at Spartanburg, South Carolina. You are joining us here for the All About Hub City panel. Um, I am joined by my assistant director, Kate McMullen. Hello! Um, And we are, as I said, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, but we're delighted that this panel could go ahead in a virtual format. Um, We are also joined by three of our authors, um, Gordy Sauer, Anjali Angetti and Ashley Bryant Phillips. I committed to holding these books up. <laughs> and uh, my hands are big enough. We are so delighted that these three authors could join us and that we would love to have been uh, celebrating all their books with them um, in Mississippi last month. Uh, this is the format that we have this year, and we will um, try to make things as enjoyable and uh illuminating as possible. So um, what we have here is a panel of three writers that we have published in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all came to publication uh, through really different routes. And so we wanted to, even though it's all about Hub City, it's really all about Hub City authors, because that's how we view ourselves. And that's what we try to do is make it all about the authors. So we're not going to spend a ton of your time talking about um, ourselves, but we will try to insert ourselves weirdly into every question and, you know, um, (laughs) just do that. But um, so we will start out by kind of telling you a little bit about what we do here at Hub City. So Hub City Press is uh, celebrating its 26th year of operation this year. We have, uh, we were founded in 1995 in Spartanburg. We are a literary boutique publisher of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, and also books of regional interest about the South. Um, Our mission statement is that we are committed to highlighting and championing uh, new and extraordinary voices from the American South, which means we only publish um, Southern writers, which is not at all a limiting mission statement. Um, we think that it's a uh, incredibly diverse and interesting uh, region of the country that is often uh, shortchanged when it comes to national corporate publishers and how they view the books that come out of this region. So we're committed to being here on the ground, I mean, staying here in South Carolina and publishing the finest writers that we can find in our region and entering their books into a national conversation. Um, so publishing them in beautiful um, editions that, uh, you know, look um, and feel uh, every every bit the quality that is held with uh, inside and that makes them compete better in the marketplace. And um, so that's what we do. We get these books from uh, various different places, and that's what we were going to talk about today. Kate, did you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, so we receive uh, queries from agents like any other publisher. We also open for queries two times a year uh, in, in uh, fiction and nonfiction. Um, so we get, you know, uh, we have a, a slush pile. I hate to call it that because that's um, that seems a little not so nice. Um, but we do... Um, published work unsolicited um, that we get routinely. through mm-hmm, routinely that we get through the um, query process, which we love. And we love to, to keep that, you know, open and transparent because um, that's important to us. We also run several uh, prizes and you'll hear from a prize winner today. Um, the C. Michael Curtis short story prize is a uh, book length short story prize named after uh, C. Michael Curtis, the longtime editor of the fiction section of the Atlantic. Um, we have a poetry prize called the New Southern Voices Poetry Prize um, that we run every other year, and the South Carolina Novel Prize, which features novels from South Carolinians that we publish um, 
the winner of, and we run that also every other year, alternate of the Poetry Prize. So we have a number of ways that we receive books, um, and it's uh, a pretty exciting, diverse way of, of in encountering work from Southern writers, and we, uh, we find that to be, um, you know, important and... Um, Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's very fundamental, very fundamental to our mission that we stay open in these, all these various mm -hmm. ways, because we find that um, writers in the South are often, um, you know, activists and they are librarians and they are school teachers and they are uh, urban planners and they are uh, working in the service industry. They are working multiple jobs in addition to being writers. Um, they're not necessarily just academics, um, you know, in their, in their offices. Um, so in order to reflect that true diversity of experience of Southern writers, we mm -hmm. try to, um, we try to make uh, you know, limit the gatekeeping and sort of make things as open and accessible as possible. That's why we've always maintained open calls and we still um, pick books from them routinely. Mm -hmm. So that is, um, that is that part of it. And then the other part of it is really a commitment to highlighting the true uh, diversity of experiences that we have in the South. The South is a massive region. We consider it, this is totally debatable and uh, everything, <laughs> but we consider our region is, is really from Virginia to Texas, um, including Florida, including Florida, <laughs> Oklahoma, Maryland, Missouri, um, are states that we absolutely see a lot of books from. And we absolutely, Ohio, Ohio um, Indiana, there's always an ongoing conversation about what, you know, Southern writing mm -hmm. is. And so we're always kind of uh, a little bit porous about those boundaries, but the general mass of our, of our books come from, from that. And that is a huge swath of land with a massive amount of people living in it. And, uh, it is, you know, one of the most diverse regions in the country. It is one of um, the most, you know, um, activism filled regions. If you live here, you know that. So um, we never want to limit uh, our books to some kind of like what a Southern novel is that has never been any interest to us. We really are just interested in um, getting the, the richest range of, of voices that we can, we can um, hear from, including you know, immigrant and refugee voices, including um, people of color, indigenous people, um, queer writers, and writers from rural backgrounds, writers without MFAs, writers over 40. Um, that's just some of the, the people that we really like to um, hear from and help, um, uh, you know, introduce to a national audience. So yeah, we say a lot that um, the South isn't just magnolia, magnolia trees and sweet tea. Um, yes. So we, uh, we're here to we, talk about the other things <laughs> until we do we, we've never published a book about the civil war until we do i can keep saying that um we've published reconstruction <laughs> era reconstruction. novels but um <laughs> but yeah we uh anything that we find um that a lot of the books that we get are books that and and we can talk about this with um the panelists after they um read and tell us about their stories to publication but a lot of the time, um, the books that we receive are books that agents have said, um, you know, didn't New York editors that were acquiring, um, didn't think they were like Southern stories or didn't think they were, didn't, didn't quite fit into the box that they um, had prescribed for the, for the region. And so those tend to be the books that excite us the most. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. um, cause we know they'll sell. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we like to work with, um, with, you know, really championing new perspectives. Um, so that's what we try to do. And uh, we will save sort of um, the rest for the question and answer and kind of conversation period. But I think we are going to hear from in order, uh, we're going to hear from Gordy Sauer about his very recent release, 
uh, Child in the Valley, which came out just two weeks ago. And uh, this is a really incredible um, literary Western, our first. And as we've told Gordy many times, we could not be prouder for this to be our first uh, entry into the into <laughs> the Western. Western. <laughs> uh, it has been a lot of fun. It's a really uh, breakneck speed book um, that we just love hearing um, him read from, and you're going to hear hopefully a few pages from it. And then after we're going to hear from Anjali and Jetty, who wrote The Parted Earth, this little crane, little crane book (laughs) came out in May. Um, And this is a really beautiful um, intergenerational story, which is a thing we love to do here at Hub City. Yeah. Uh, really just kind of like hearing from the same family over multiple generations. and Woven points of view. Exactly. We're, we're be suckers for it. So Anjali is going to tell us about her path to publication, which she has written about um, quite a bit, actually. Um, so, uh, and, and read a little bit from that book. And then we also have Ashley Bryant Phillips, who wrote Sleepovers, which Kate uh, referred to as the winner of the Sue Michael Curtis Short Story Book Prize in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, selected by Lauren Groff, um, which was a huge deal for us uh, that Lauren judged that contest. And she was a, and remains a massive fan of Ashley's book, um, as were many other people. And uh, you get to get to hear a little bit more about that journey and also hear from her um, really stellar short stories. Yeah. So I think I'm going to hand the baton over to Gordy. And <laughs> if you, if you're ready to go. Yeah. Um, so first I'll just thank Meg and Kate. I know y'all, y'all are true stewards of the press and, and, you know, your authors, which includes the three of us. So we, we really appreciate that. And I'm really honored to be here with Anjali and Ashley and share stage with your books and, uh, your creative geniuses. So thank y'all, um, for being here. And thanks to the, the folks in Mississippi and beyond. My granddad's actually from Mississippi down in, uh, Foxworth, Mississippi. It's like a real kind of consensus town down um, not too far, I think, from Laurel. Um, I've never actually been to his hometown, um, which is a, a sort of big disappointment and something that I was hoping to do when we were going to have the book festival down in, in Jackson. So maybe, you know, some other time. Um, but yeah, dive in. So Child in the Valley, um, you know, Meg mentioned the, the breakneck pace in the book, but it was not a breakneck pace in terms of composing the book and and sort of moving it from the point of conception to publication, uh, it, you know, I think it took about seven years for all told from the moment I sort of had the idea and started the book to the moment that it came out just a couple of weeks ago. The book is loosely about a 17 year old orphan from St. Louis who uh, is fleeing kind of poverty in some uh, other circumstances in Missouri and joins up with a, a really kind of vagabond gold rush company and travels on the California trail out to Gold Rush, California in 1849. Um, I like to say that the book is a lot about kind of choices and, and the way that the choices that we make um, impact our lives in either really good or really bad ways. Um, it explores sexuality and uh, violence and greed and kind of all of those uh, characteristics that we associate with, you know, mid 19th century America and kind of like frontier America. Um, but in that, you know, Western or or sort of anti-Western genre, I mean, it really does use a lot of kind of elements of the Western genre, uh, because growing up in Texas, those were sort of, um, really potent elements for me as a child and, and really part of my, you know, kind of life, but they're also very fraught elements and elements that, um, have created a very pervasive and kind of dangerous myth of America. And so the book really confronts a lot of that. 
um, through Joshua Gaines, the main character, and then kind of through his journey and the the descent of his of his life. Um, you know, the the process, the publication, it was a really interesting process. I was agented, um, which makes it probably a more traditional process for me than I think the the other two writers who I'm sharing the stage with. Um, I did after I wrote the book, you know, it took about a only actually about a year and a half to get a first draft, but then I I had to do quite a lot of extensive research um, in order to, I think, get right what I wanted to get right about the California Trail and about gold panning. And so I spent the next few years really refining the book through that research and actually traveled the entirety of the California Trail from Missouri to California and took gold panning lessons out in California and camped out there and um, figured out a lot of things that would have terrified me in 1849 because they terrified me in, in 2017. So uh, it was a, it was a really good experience and a really kind of experiential process uh, to create the book. Um, and then I was very fortunate to land an agent um, maybe three or four years after I had finished writing the book and we spent some time going through it and he really helped me refine it. Um, his name's Kirby Kim. He's a Jinkle and Nesbitt. He's an incredible reader and, and a really um, insightful editor. And he, he really helped me, I think, hammer down that breakneck pace that Meg and Kate talked about and make the book feel like a really tight narrative um, for something that I think is, is very expansive and has a very broad scope, right? I mean, navigating half the country, a trajectory that takes a child essentially from his life into kind of 17 years because there are flashback moments in there. Um, and so Kirby really helped me get it to that point. And then I remember when we were shopping it that there were some comments about um, how the book sort of confronted the the myth of American and what it did in terms of um, subverting the myth of American, whether that was a good or a bad thing. And really what I think is um, super incredible and, and what I'm really grateful for is that Meg and Kate in Hub City saw that as a really good thing. And I, I think that that's, that was a moment where I really felt like um, this was the perfect home for the book, you know, that they saw the vision that I had and, and they really helped me, um, they really helped me capitalize on that vision and, and create, you know, the product that it is today. And uh, so it was a, it was a really interesting process. Um, I hope that covers the, the background material. Um, and so I'll just read from a, the opening, the prelude, just a couple of pages, and then turn it over from there. So this is Child in the Valley. If he isn't the youngest boy ever to ride that steamer, he's surely the loudest, contending with those newly inflated infant lungs, chance and circumstance, just as he'll fight those ladies all the way through the rest of his life. He is completely hairless, an errant kind of perfection, and the rain and the river blast that breach the hole thin the blood on his body and begin to clean him, to wash the viscous and coiled remnants of his birthing from the slick main deck. Awestruck passengers snatch the whipping edges of their coats or shawls and pull them tighter. A harsh northerly wind, an aggravated Mississippi lick, licking port and starboard, higher and higher as the boat pitches. Year of your birth, 32, and the baby boy won't stop crying. He is born into this world bearing the loss of his parents, and in some cosmic way, he knows this. So he cries for them, and for his own tragedy, that loss bespeaks. And he cries for this torturous moment upon which his birth is marked, a steamer chugging south to St. Louis, 
in early March in this tempest that collapses the shoreline and sky in total darkness so that the boat runs now as if enclosed in a giant box. He cries so much that his fresh voice begins to crack, outstretches his arms and legs while he tries to push that angry sky out of sight. Dr. Gaines frees one hand and wipes his drenched face before he begins to rub circles on the child's stomach. Shh, he whispers, though no one, not even the child, can hear him through the storm. Shh. Dr. Gaines pauses for a moment, then cuts the umbilical cord with a rude pocket knife a passenger has offered him. The foul stench from the mother shitting herself still lingers and commingles with the blood, but the doctor resumes shoving rags between her legs, his hands, though warm, indistinguishable to him. It's his duty to traffic in the body's cannibalization and his choice, an inherent source of pride. But it seems he's never seen a woman bleed so profusely. It's as if his hole has opened up inside of her, as if her body is trying to rid itself of blood entirely. She is young, not much more than a child herself, already so pale her new child looks darker beside her. The rain has soaked her dress, thins her with an illusory power, and her arms flop heedlessly beside her like two dying eels. The doctor has long run out of fresh rags, so he pulls out the old ones, wrings the blood onto the deck, then drapes that rag over his knee to let the rain clean it further while he pressures into her pelvis a rag he's wrung just prior. Pinned between his knees, the child lies atop his coat. He wasn't meant to be birthed out here, but the mother had simply collapsed, no moving her under the hurricane roof after that. And the father? He lost his footing on the deck, running to fetch the doctor, tumbled over the side, and was consumed in the swallows of that river so quickly that those who saw him fall said he simply disappeared into the black. Given these circumstances, the doctor has already named this infant child. Joshua, he calls him, without even thinking about it. Joshua Gaines. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Gordy. You, Gordy. I love a uh, a sweeping prologue. I'm a, also a big sucker for that. And your book had one. Sometimes uh, we've gotten writers to write them, but yours came with one that I was just like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so thank you for reading that. I love I love hearing it read. That's actually the first time I've heard you read it. So um, so next we're going to move to Anjali, and uh, Anjali is going to tell us about her path to the parted earth, which I believe um, I think we picked this up the maybe the year 2018 2019 I don't know time is over 2019 I think uh, before the pandemic so that's where time gets all mushy um but she will tell us about how we um we got here we felt incredibly fortunate to be the publishers of Anjali's first novel um and she's also an extremely accomplished nonfiction writer um so she comes at uh writing from that interesting dual perspective so take it away Anjali thanks so much y'all am I breaking up to you by any chance while I'm talking because okay I know my internet connection's a little stable and I've got the link ready to go on my phone if I need to leave and rejoin anyway that can be edited out thankfully so thank you so much Meg um, I'm so excited to be here with other Hub City Press authors um, so The Parted Earth is the sixth book that I wrote. Um, I had had agents in the past for different books, one nonfiction and one fiction. And uh, I started querying agents for The Parted Earth um, soon after I finished my 
MFA program at Queens University. So I believe it was the fall of uh, 2015. Um, and um, I queried for about three and a half years. And um, I just could not find anyone interested in the book. Wasn't really um, receiving a lot of specific feedback about what wasn't working. Um, and I just thought, for whatever reason, the book isn't someone else's vision um, right now. Um, and then Hub City opened up their spring submission period. And I thought, okay, I had been reading Hub City books for a while. Um, I'm also a book critic, so I had been reviewing some of the books. And um, one of my dearest friends, Jessica Handler, is also a Hub City author. She wrote The Magnetic Girl. And I was like, you know, this seems like a fit. And I remember actually, Megan Kate, before I queried, I sent an email to Betsy because I was like, you know, this touches on something you were just talking about, Meg, which is I felt like my book, which is very international, would not be seen as a Southern book, um, even though I consider myself Southern and even though part of the book takes place in the South. So I actually wrote Meg an email was like, I don't even know if I should submit this to the submission portal because I'm not sure that this really is Southern. Um I felt it was, but, um, and she was like, why don't you just go ahead and send it? So um, anyway, so I feel like I am uh, a, a beneficiary of Hub City's more expansive view of what a Southern book is. And so, um, so Hub City sent me a book contract and uh, I did the entire process without an agent and um, everything's been great. And I felt so supported as an author and it really is sort of the press of my dreams. So. Um, ended up with a very, very happy ending. Um, so uh, so my novel is called The Parted Earth. It is a book that takes place over 70 years and multiple continents. Um, the story resolves, uh, revolves around uh, two main characters, although it's told from several different points of view. Um, the characters are Deepa, who is 16 years old in 1947 when the British finally quit India and divide the subcontinent into two nations, the Muslim majority nation of Pakistan and the Hindu and Sikh majority nation of uh, India. And Deepa is living with her parents in New Delhi and really starting to experience sort of the strife and the tension and the communal violence that is happening between the various religious groups. And at the same time, she's falling in love with a Muslim teenager named Amir, who is about to flee uh, what is going to be the new India to Pakistan, uh, as he and his family are Muslim. Um, and it also revolves around Deepa's granddaughter, Sean, um, who is living in Atlanta in the present day. Um, what we learn in the book is that partition has really fractured this family. The book involves three generations, but between Deepa and Sean, there is a breach, um, uh, they are estranged. So Sean not only doesn't really know her grandmother, she met her one time when she was 10 years old. Um, she has no relationship with her grandmother. And um, her father uh, had passed away when she was only 11 years old. So Sean not only doesn't know about her ancestral history, she actually doesn't even know about her own Indian heritage because she was raised by her white mother. 
Um, and so the scene I'm going to read today, um, Sean's story mainly takes place in the present day. She's in her early 40s, but there's one chapter in the book when we see Sean as a child. In this particular scene, she's age 10. She's with her father, Father Vijay, who had abandoned Sean when she was only five years old and up and moved to India. So she hardly ever sees him. And this scene takes place at the Taj Mahal, uh, where he has brought Sean to kind of bond with her and show her, you know, the country that he lives in. Um, and uh, this is their, them sort of trying to negotiate this, uh, this relationship uh, when they're not really particularly close anymore. I never knew my father, he said, his gaze locked on hers. Did I ever tell you that? The words fell out of his mouth, landed with a thud between them. His father, her grandfather. She knew this, though how she came to know it escaped her. She always seemed to know about this absence in her father's life, much the same way she always knew about her own father's absence in hers. I've no idea what he even looks like, he continued. Think about him every day, though. Why don't you try to find him, Sean asked. I can't. The only information I have is his name. He leaned over the railing, dropped his head to his chest. He had a younger sister, too. All I know is her name. Your grandmother refuses to tell me more. Sean had just met her grandmother, Deepa, for the first time on their way to India. They had a 24-hour layover in London and stayed overnight in her drafty apartment a few streets over from Big Ben. She was rail thin with stark black hair. Her forehead wrinkled like an accordion when she raised her eyebrows. A lit cigarette dangled from her fingers. She held it like some kind of stylish accessory to her outfit. Her grandmother had hugged Sean awkwardly, as if she hadn't known where to place her hands, patted her head a little too firmly. The next day, when she and her father headed out to catch the second leg of their flight to Delhi, their goodbyes had been just as awkward as their greetings. Sean couldn't imagine what it was like for her father to have such a cold mother and to never know his own father. He had seemed oblivious to the fact that they shared this kind of sadness of missing fathers. She wanted to shake him in that moment. His decision to move to India without her had been a selfish one. He, did not, he still did not see it as such, five years into his relocation, was wholly unaware of how his absence continued to hurt her, how it made her feel so lonely. For her eighth birthday, he had mailed her a globe, the earth parted by latitudes and longitudes, oceans and continents. She had measured with her hands the distance between Seattle and India, nine hands, the sun never shone on them at the same time. He had moved so far away from her, he might as well have moved to the moon. When he lifted his face, his gaze traced the horizon, settled back on Agra Fort. Nothing makes me happier than having you here with me now, he said. No one has ever meant more to me than you. She smiled, her first of the day. If these moments were all they could ever have together, maybe it would be enough. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, Anjali. I don't remember that email, but yeah, that's it. Does touch on an interesting point. I can I, we can bring up before Ashley finishes us off here. But yeah, we we always view instead of saying like, is this a southern novel? Is it not? We really base things, and sometimes it's tricky to explain to people like out of region. But like, we really prefer people who are just like living and working here. Those are southern stories, and and you grew up in Tennessee, and so it's it's uh, it's funny to to see people question their own 
own, like, oh, am I Southern? And I'm like, you know, that is a good indication that a story might be even more interesting to us. And so, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, we have Ashley Bryant Phillips, who is from Woodland, North Carolina, and uh, won, as I said, our, our short story prize. And uh, this has been a book that um, people have told me has redefined what they think Southern, contemporary Southern literature can be. Um, and, uh, so if you are a, like, fan of short stories, of Southern short stories, um, this is a, this, this is, is a must you. read. Um, <laughs> we can't wait to hear from Ashley. So you're going to tell us, I've, I feel like I've given away the ending, like that you won the prize, but, um, <laughs> I know you can tell us a lot more details and, and, and fill us in from there. Yeah. I'm just so, uh, thankful that Hub City exists. I really do believe that, my collection never would have been able to have been published as it was. There's so much um, dialect, uh, small, intricate place details in my work that's very important to me that I knew wouldn't be understood or appreciated at a big five. Or maybe I would have had to insert a little more stereotypical Southern stuff in order to be appreciated. So I really do believe that, uh, yeah, this collection would not have been published as it is <laughs> somewhere else. So I'm very thankful for the C. Michael Curtis Short Story Book Prize and Megan Kate and everybody there who does all the hard work. So Sleepovers is basically all of the stories I started writing from my first creative writing class in undergrad um, at Meredith College. I read Gene Toomer's. Fern, which is from Kane. I was reading that in my English class. And then I went into my creative writing class and I wrote Shania. And Shania is the first book in the collection. So it's the first stories I wrote from undergrad up until the last stories I was writing right before I submitted to the contest. I submitted to the C. Michael Curtis Short Story Book Prize contest. I think like a year after I graduated with my MFA in fiction from UNCW down in Wilmington. And when I submitted, I really didn't think I was going to win um, because I knew it was different. And I was just hoping that whoever was the judge, Lauren Groff, would read it and like it. <laughs> and uh, she did. So that was a big surprise. Um, when I was writing these stories, I was unagented. I didn't even know what an agent was. Um, I wasn't thinking about publishing a book. The end goal was not a book. So this whole ride has been um, really surprising and wonderful. Uh, once I won the prize, it enabled me to go from selling uh, cottonseed and overspray insurance in rural North Carolina to being a natural wine and sake uh, store manager <laughs> in Baltimore. So um, the prize really did change my life and it gave me so many experiences I never imagined. So I'm very thankful. A bit about the collection. I'm really, I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like talking about my work. So I'll just read what some other people have said about it. Her stories are brimming with dark and romantic details, the sorts of things only a vigilant witness would know. 
Ashley Bryant Phillips is the literary love child of Carson McCullers and John the Baptist. Her imagination is profoundly original and private and urgent and generous. I like that one, urgent and generous. So I'm going to read from just the very beginning of Snowball Jr., which is a different story than the rest in the collection, but it's a fun one. And maybe it's an example of what Meg was saying, like, hopefully diverts your expectation of what modern Southern literature can be. And this was published at uh, New York Tyrant before it was published uh, in here. Snowball Jr. When I was a deer, I was a doe. My mother pushed me out, nuzzling a great oak tree. It was spring. There was a creek nearby. Birds were always singing. Meadowlark, grasshopper, sparrow, nightingales. I could hear everything better than I'd ever heard before. But I didn't know if any loved ones from my old life were there with me. I missed them. And I missed things I shouldn't have. I missed the man with stubby fingers, the smell of his awful butter lube, the peach tiled bathroom, the vibrating bed and banana pudding milkshakes. The married man who called me mama, he patched my tires, bought me groceries, choked me in his ill-lit apartment during Jeopardy, Mad Dog 2020, Omegle, spit dangling from my lips onto his, biting his rat tattoo. I miss the man who looked like Bob Dylan on Blonde on Blonde. He wore paint splattered jeans. We met in LAX. I handed him my copy of Vice. I told him to read the story Malibu about a man stuffing his fist into a stranger woman's mouth. It was a night flight, and I watched the top of his hair glowing rose ahead. He was reading. It was thrilling. But when I was a deer, the wind blew, and I could smell the insides of flowers far away. I could hear cars coming like oceans. I could hear bees building hives. Thank you. Thank you. That's one of my favorite ones of yours, I think. (laughs) Well, you guys all did such a good job looking at our like arranged questions. And I'm like, Um, I would say that we would, since we're kind of coming down in the last five or 10 minutes here, I would love for you guys to talk about, since you've all done this huge thing of getting one, uh, your first books published. And in Anjali's case, she published two at the same time. But I would love to hear any advice you guys would have for writers who are, are going through this process and are thinking about, you know, independent presses versus big presses. Like, I think Ashley touched on that, like knowing where you're fit, where, where you might fit. And and so I'd like to hear from all of you guys briefly about that, if, if you uh, wouldn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> In whatever order you want to go. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> to start. You know, when I was thinking about where I might be, I sort of was more comfortable with the idea to begin with, with being a smaller, being with a smaller press. But of course, small presses are so different from one another themselves. But, you know, I think what my experience publishing with Hub City has, has done is, is really sort of challenged a lot of the stereotypes of small presses. You know, I feel like, and, and I hear this from, from friends, you know, wow, the, the, the novel's getting a lot of attention. I feel like I see it talked about uh, places online. I feel like it, you know, ends up on book lists with this sort of not believing feeling because 
the idea, I guess, is that small presses never get talked about publicly. They don't get the same kind of attention that they deserve. And of course, while that may be true, um, because I really do feel like Hub City books um, should be getting more attention than they're getting, I, I have not felt disadvantaged in any way publishing with Hub City. On the flip side, I feel like I'm getting a lot of very personal attention from the press. I feel very open to talking about various issues. I feel like y'all have been so responsive to my questions. And so I have had this really precious and ideal experience with the press that I really wish for everybody, whether or not they're at a small press or a large press. And I've tried to be really conscious and aware and grateful of it because it can be a really lousy experience for authors to get a book published. It's it's often the proudest moment they have. And sometimes it is just full of disappointment because, uh, you know, a lot of authors feel very ignored. Like as soon as the book comes out, very little is said about their book. The press doesn't push it often or whatever. They don't feel, they feel like they're one of a million authors at their press and the the larger press will pick a couple of authors to showcase and not really even mention the other books that are coming out that same day or same week or same month. So I would really um, encourage any author to look really closely at small presses, um, especially presses who really think outside the box like Hub City does and are really interested in the work um, and um, really getting the finest books that they can get. Um, I'll like jump in quickly to say that I don't know if you're like me and you care about eating healthy and being good and it feels nice to be on an independent press that isn't funded by Coke money, you know, that's another advantage to independent presses. It's mostly not coming from uh, any sort of uh, very rich uh, Jeff Bezos or Paris Hilton's of the world. I don't necessarily have to add anything to the conversation. I, I know that because I think what both Ashley and Angela said was great. Um, you know, I, I, you asked about like the how to get published. I, I, I feel like if there were a formula, then there'd be a million more authors in the world. Right. I mean, I know that hearing Angelis and Ashley's stories and, you know, and knowing my story, I mean, all three of us talked about, the ways in which we thought our books didn't work or the pushback that we had gotten from other people because of the decisions we'd made. Right. So there does seem to be a little bit of fearlessness. I think that it takes to, to push forward with work that you believe in um, even when others might not share that belief. And so maybe if there is formula, then, you know, the formula is like self-born. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the only thing to really take away. Um, But I, I think that like, there's heart in, you know, hearing that because then it, I think it gives younger writers like the confidence to like pursue what they're going to pursue. And sometimes that doesn't work. Right. And then that's okay too. Um, but that's really the only way to come upon something that does in the end. You act like I, we didn't push back on anything. We did change the title of your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I had had that title in mind. It was, yeah. Yeah, but, we did ask you, right. you were like, it used yeah. to be called this. And we yeah. were like, okay, that's, <laughs> That's it right there. Yes. I think that like as a, as a kind of, you know, wrapping up sort of note, I will say we 
feel really fortunate at Hub City because we always say like all of our writers are such good people and they're such mm-hmm. gems. And that's the thing that unites all of them. They don't have a similar background. They don't have a similar, more than just being like Southern or something like that. Like <laughs> the real thing is that they're all incredibly good people. And the three that you three, especially are just like incredibly good literary citizens. And so I think the real key to getting published, and I say this everywhere, is just being a good literary citizen, helping other people, putting, you know, putting yourself into the work of helping other writers and being a part of like reading series and and editing and any kind of things you can do, because then I swear to God, it's like, it just comes out, you know, that's the the way it happens is that it manifests in terms of your book and the support you're going to see when that book comes out. So um, I think that's what I always tell writers is the only thing you can, you can't be sure or certain of anything in the publication or publishing process, but you can be sure that you are the best literary person that you can be inside of that process. And I think that Anjali and Ashley and Gordy are like really, really prime examples of that. So I'm super grateful that the three of you give so much and it's so easy to work with people um, and, and promote books that uh, have really, really earnestly good humans behind them. And it's easy to promote books that have authors behind them that believe in the work. And all of you touched on this, that you knew what you wanted your book to be. And it took a while to find a home. And we're so glad that it's Hub City, of course. But I think that that's something that we look for when, when we're acquiring books um, like the books that y'all wrote is that, I, like the energy behind the book and the confidence behind the writing is really important. If you're a writer looking to get published, it just like really stands out and makes us feel like we're backing something up that is already really powerful and important. We publish, and I didn't say this at the beginning, we publish eight to 10 books a year. And we used to publish yeah, six to eight. <laughs> and before that it was five to seven. So it's like, <laughs> and that's, that's a decade. And we've only gone up by maybe like, you know, <laughs> yeah. two or three titles. Yeah. And we really do that because we want to be able to give um, a lot of attention to all of our books. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that means that we always say we, our jobs are easy because we can get really excited about every single one of our books when we're pitching them to, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this if I was like, here are the 60 titles that we're publishing. I I can't imagine. (laughs) For me, I'm so excited about all my author's books. And then both of us, that really translates into pitching them and selling them and and doing, uh, and just telling people about them because we really believe in all the projects that we select. And so that is the benefit of being a small, if if there's all, there's drawbacks to being a small outfit, but I say the, the benefit is that we really can focus in on titles that we really love and, and care about. And mm-hmm. um, and really give authors the support that they want and need. I hope. Thanks for saying all these nice things about us. <laughs> they have said lovely things. <laughs> but it all comes down to how great their books are. So we hope that um, this has been illuminating to the sort of behind the scenes of, of small press publishing, mm-hmm. how we do it here at Hub City. If you're an author looking to get published, you can go to our uh, website, hubcity.org and learn about our submission, you know, guidelines. We're open right now for queries. Like Anjali mentioned the spring one, we're in the fall one right now. So if you have a novel, you can read that and see if it, you fit into the guidelines. If you have a nonfiction project, we're open in October for those. And the best thing you can do is um, order these three fine humans books and ask for them at your local libraries and which is a free thing you can do. And uh, Mm -hmm. it, and it benefits everybody (laughs) after you read them, you can go review them on Amazon and uh, Goodreads and places like that. Um, That's incredibly 
beneficial for all small presses. So mm-hmm. if you support an independently published author from uh, published by an independent press, always consider leaving a review. Mm-hmm. That's the way you can sort of give us back some, this is a little free help and promotion publicity. and publicity. We can post it and tag us. There's all exactly. kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. So go buy all of these books. Uh, so we've got Gordy Sour Child in the Valley. We have Anjali and Jetty, The Parted Earth. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have Ashley Bryant Phillips with Sleepovers. They're all available everywhere that books are sold. And we hope that you mm-hmm. will go buy them. And thank you, the three of you, for being such with generous people mm-hmm. and uh, chatting with us today. And thank you to the uh, Mississippi, Mississippi Book Fest for setting yeah. up this panel. Yeah. And we've been trying to do it for two years. So <laughs> fingers crossed for 2022. <laughs> <IRL>. <laughs> Hopefully we will we'll all be together in Jackson someday, which yeah. sounds like a song. <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.